When we moved back uh, to the United States at the end of March, which feels like it must have been at least three or four years ago by now, the first thing that overwhelmed us was just the strangeness of the pandemic. It wasn't at all like coming home, but coming back to some sort of alternative reality, like a false timeline out of Back to the Future where things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. But as we began readjusting, and even in the pandemic, um, all the things about America and its strangeness came back to us. Grocery stores filled with a hundred different brands of yogurt, even during a pandemic, and endless aisles of eerily perfect produce. It's overwhelming. And I coped with all of this by cooking and eating very well during quarantine. It was difficult to get many of the popular cuts of meat um, in Rwanda, and so it, when I came home, I was excited to cook things I couldn't before. Pork shoulder is one of those, and it's among one of my favorite cuts to slow roast. And so as soon as we got out of strict quarantine, I headed to Shaw's and I bought a pork roast, I marinated it overnight, and I slow roasted it in the oven and put a cherry and pork reduction sauce over it. It was delicious. We all ate it for dinner. It was wonderful. But something, something was just not quite right about this pork roast. The bone wasn't the right shape. The meat was darker than it should have been. It, it tasted oddly gamey. It wasn't rancid at all. It, it, it didn't taste bad. It was just strange. Now, the next day, my father-in-law, Dave, he comes up to me and he says, Brandon, are you sure uh, that wasn't a leg of lamb? What? I went and showed him the receipt. It says it right there. Pork shoulder, $1.50 a pound. But as soon as he said it, something rang true. All of us had set, sat down, eaten a roasted leg of lamb, and convinced ourselves it was pork. Upon inspecting the leftovers, it was obvious. But the butcher had mislabeled it, and we had used a pork recipe, and we had told ourselves we were eating pork, and so we saw and ate pork. When our minds attach to something, it is hard for us to see anything else. We can be chewing the truth in our own mouths and still not recognize that it is indeed a leg of lamb. All of scripture, and in particular, the New Testament, depicts sin as having this kind of effect on us. Sin making us blind and deaf. Blind to see the world and deaf to hear the words of truth. Humans have a particular skill at self-deception. It makes us forget the things that are true and be drawn into things that are false. It makes us unable to see the reality of the world even when it's in front of us. The kingdom of God, announced and embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, calls humanity to see the world differently. And indeed, to see the world as the Lord sees it and as it really is is. Our gospel text today offers Jesus' kingdom manifesto, a clarion call to wake up and see and hear rightly, differently. Let's go back to the text. Now, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they 
shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a list of people who are blessed in the kingdom of God, who are blessed even now for their future. The people who will walk into New Jerusalem rejoicing. But if I'm really honest, these are not things I pray to become on a daily basis. Mournful and meek, merciful maybe, depending on the circumstances, pure in heart, eh, maybe. Peacemaker, again, depending on the circumstances, persecuted, definitely not. And that's part of the point. The third phrase, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, drives this home. What do we hunger for? Because what we hunger for is what we call blessed. And what we hunger for is also, it reveals the way we see the world. It reveals what we love. Do we love peace and mercy and humility and purity of heart and righteousness. I think most of us want to love them. I think most of us want to hunger for them. I think on our best days and in our best moments, we do hunger and thirst for them. But we have been programmed from a very early age to see the world according to a different set of beatitudes to tell ourselves that we are eating pork. I think of our world's set of beatitudes and how it might sound. And I think, I think our world's beatitudes sound something like this. Blessed are the beautiful, for they alone will be loved. Blessed are the go-getters, for they will achieve their dreams. Blessed are the healthy, for they will stay ahead of aging. Blessed are the intelligent, for they will outsmart their competition. Blessed are the married, for they will fulfill their personal desires for affection. Blessed are the generous, for they will feel better about themselves. Blessed are the woke, for they are on the right side of history. Blessed are the educated, for you will have good taste. Blessed are the wealthy, for you will have security. That's what our world tells us to love. That's what our world tells us to worship and to hunger for and to rely on. Those are the things that are blessed. And Jesus gives us this shocking list. 
his beatitudes to grab us by the shoulders and shake us into seeing the world as we uh, as he does to shake us into seeing that the world as we know it does not represent the world as it one day will be the world as it really is today is all saints day a day when we remember all those who have fallen asleep in the Lord and who pray for us even now, the people we call saints, the people the church lifts up as vivid images of Christ are so often strange like the Beatitudes. They are weird people, not just because we're separated from them by centuries and cultures. They were always strange, strange wherever they were. And yet in their strangeness, they allowed for those around them to see something of the truth of the world in their lives. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, which is wonderful, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it, a ghost-like man traverses the foothills of heaven, and he encounters a whole host of characters, some of them woefully uh, unprepared to embrace heaven, and thus they find it completely uninhabitable. And the others who have become fully part of heaven's world, were saved. And one radiant, glorious woman uh, comes into the scene and, and was followed by this huge train of people and animals. And Lewis looks at her and asks his guide, the great Scottish author, George MacDonald, who she is. And MacDonald says, she is Sarah Smith, one of the great ones of heaven, but that nobody on earth knew who she was. She made every man who met her love her, but not in a way that made them love their lives, wives less, but instead love their wives more. Do you know a Sarah Smith? We literally do. Sarah Smith is the name of one of our best friends for Emily and I, and she certainly has moments like this woman. But I know others too. It was Jenny who walked more than a mile each way to Holy Trinity to prepare communion and receive a blessing before church. Or Miles Reck, a single man in Durham, North Carolina, who would bake the world's best cookies and pray over them before distributing them to families. And long after you moved away from Durham, if you had a new child, Miles would still hunt you down and send you a signature Miles Reck embroidered blankie. And sometimes these people, by God's great and powerful mercy, find themselves in leadership positions. And when that happens, you can be tremendously grateful. My first boss in Rwanda, Archbishop Anetsapur Raje, was just such a person. I always called him your grace, which probably would have felt overly formal if he were not so palpably gracious in everything that he did. And these persons that we meet or hear stories about are living beatitudes for us. They are never persons who make us feel bad about ourselves not being holy enough, because they are the opposite of self-righteous. They are righteous. And these persons have, even in enormous pain, they have joy and peace. And they give us a taste of what this strange kingdom of God is like. The lives of saints 
invites us to hunger for something that we may not have known to hunger for without them. And all these people are like little Christs, persons who allow for us to encounter Jesus in their lives. But in the New Testament, Paul uses the term saints a lot more broadly to describe all of the Christians in the various churches he served. The book of Corinthians begins like this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, that sounds like a pretty vanilla introduction. Unless you have read the book of Corinthians, this congregation sounds like they have so much more in common with a soap opera cast than they do the life of the saints. This church is royally messed up. We have libertines who abuse their freedom in Christ as an opportunity to sin. Then they have people, married people, who have sworn off sex altogether because they think they're being called to something beyond. They have ecstatic worship practices and especially abuse of the poor. They have lawsuits among them. This is a troubled congregation, but Paul calls them saints, which is, has always been a source of comfort for me. If Paul calls these people saints and they sound about as screwed up as I am, there is hope for the rest of us too. Holiness comes from the Holy Spirit even when we are still sinners because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's work of redemption has marked us indelibly for glory. Over and over again, Paul calls this church and all the churches to understand who they are and to hunger for where they are going, to hunger for something different, to not allow their lives to be conformed to the beatitudes that the world gives them, but to see rightly, to recognize the kingdom hidden in our midst to go and move toward it. But what does that look like? How do we start to see and embrace and hunger for this strange kingdom announced to us in the Beatitudes? Well, here are a couple of ideas. First, ask what you call blessed. Take a moment and look at your life and ask what in your gut you long for. I know... I don't know about you, but in my head, I always know the right things to say, but my gut, my heart tells me a different story, a story I won't even admit to myself very often because my head knows it isn't right. But the first step toward being honest with ourselves and with God is telling the truth about what our hearts long for. It's not, um, it's not they may, um, sorry, you can fool yourself very easily. For instance, imagine a toddler who is trying to convince you that they don't have a dirty diaper, even when it is painfully obvious to everyone around. The same thing is true. The same thing is true for us when we have sins and longings in our heart that we don't even want to express to God because we're ashamed of them. But it's as silly as a toddler who doesn't want a diaper change. 
The first step is being honest about what our hearts desire and what we call blessed. To say, this pork doesn't quite taste right. Second, think about saints in your life, people who embody these beatitudes. Theology or faith can sometimes seem so aloof or abstract, and I think this is the reason why God gives us his son in the flesh. When we could not see or know God, he gives us a word made flesh to lead us to truth. And in the same way, the body of Christ, each of us who are part of the saints, can reflect, however partially, the kingdom's strangeness to one another. I have already listed some of the people in my life who are saints. Who are those people for you? And what are the aspects of their life that make you desire the kingdom of God? So first, what do you actually long for? What do you call blessed? Second, who are some of the saints in your life that call you toward the kingdom of God? And what is it about them that is so compelling? And third, who are the saints from the past that help you see clearly? Throughout Christian history, we have told stories of the life of the saints to help us to continue to shake ourselves, to help the church gain clarity about the truth of the world, to put a side false loves and to pursue the good. For example, I love Saint Basil. He and his family converted their enormous family wealth into places of prayer and mercy for the poor and paved the way for the very first hospitals in the West. In his eulogy, Saint Gregory of Nazianzus wrote this about Basil. He wrote that his words were like thunder because his life was like lightning. I have an icon of him right above my desk where I continue to write sermons each week. These words of Jesus invite us to come near to his strangeness and to recognize what is hidden, a kingdom that will one day be all in all. And for now, we should pray that the Lord, through his word in the lives of saints before us and around us, stirs in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness stronger than the other loves of this world. And in doing so, that we begin to see the world as it really is. That we begin to wake up to realities that we've been walking right by throughout our lives. To realize that indeed the meek the poor in spirit, the merciful, the peacemakers are blessed. May we at Church of the Cross use the lives of saints, both in and amongst us and around us in history, to be pointed towards Jesus and to see who is really blessed here and now.